This episode is brought to you by Total Restore. If you want to finally tackle your leaky gut, just watch the video at TotalRestore1.com. That's T-O-T-A-L-R-E-S-T-O-R-E-1, the number one, dot C-O-M. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Welcome to the show. This is Paul Coliani, and I'm here to help you increase your emotional intelligence so that you can avoid dysfunction, handle toxic situations with grace and ease, and show up as your authentic self. Everything I talk about on this show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. And um, thank you again for joining me. This is the second week of my time off of my home studio at home where the audio might sound a little different and I am doing my best to make sure that I get these shows out on time every week, even when I'm on vacation, <laughs> because I really enjoy what I do and I really enjoy uh, spreading the good word, if you want to call it that, or a personal growth message to you so that you can improve your life. And I never want to miss a week of getting a show out to you. Not that you care about any of this. I'm going to get right into the meat of today's topic, which is pretty much a grab bag, like an email grab bag. Uh, because sometimes there are things that I think about when I'm reading these emails that make me want to share with you uh, something that may be helpful to you so you don't get stuck in the same situation or challenge that you did before. Even when someone writes to me and says, thank you so much for your show. Thank you for everything you do, which I love. I'm very grateful for those for those emails. But they'll say something like, I was in this toxic relationship or I, I had this really crappy job and I quit and now I'm in a much better place. I'll get a lot of emails like that and they will share some challenge they went through and then they will share a uh, success that they had and then they go on with life and you know not always but that's kind of the gist of some of these emails and I want to make sure that when you go on with life you have the tools you need to tackle the challenge again. And most people do. I think what happens is that when people write to me and they say, I tackled this challenge, not in those words, but I tackled this challenge and I succeeded and now I'm moving on with my life. Most people will say, if that ever happens to me again, I know what to do. And I want to make sure that's true. <laughs> so this is why it's kind of a grab bag uh, episode where I'm just going to read a few emails, try to get through them as fast as I can because I have tons and tons of emails in my inbox. And uh, not only will this give me an opportunity to get through some of the emails that have been sitting there for a while, but also address anything that I might have talked about in the past that uh, may not have been explained in a way that may benefit you and me to talk about just a little bit more to make sure that um, I'm covering every aspect of it. Not that I can, uh, 
Not that I can possibly cover every aspect of everything that ever comes in, but sometimes you're in a situation that comes up that I may address, but it's not so specific to you. Like the solution or suggestion that I come up with may not be specific enough for you. So that's why I like to do a show like this every now and then to see if I can cover it just a little bit more from a different angle. And like I said, give you the tools that you can use later on. Even if the tools are just knowledge, just knowing something so that when you run into something in your life that's similar to what the person in the email went through, that you can say to yourself, oh, I know what to do here. Now, actually doing it, doing the thing you know what to do is sometimes a challenge in itself. Like, oh, I know what to do here, but uh, I don't want to. I don't want to step into that mess because I, I fear the consequences of that mess. I fear the outcome. And most fears are usually I don't want to have to face that because I don't want pain or I don't want that person mad at me or I don't want to take a chance that it's going to upset my life in some way or someone that I love. I don't want to take a chance that it will upset someone that I love if I do this thing. Sort of like when I had to honor my boundaries in front of a relative. Not my stepfather that I talk about all the time. I've done that too. But another relative uh, where I knew what I was about to say was going to upset the balance of the relationship that we had going on. Not that the balance was great in the first place, but you know how you have that person in your life where you've created some sort of balance. You show up respectful and cordial, even though they may be toxic or there's some tension because of past events or who knows why. There may be tension there that you don't even know the reason for. So sometimes you have people in your life that you have tension with or upset with or some sort of stress point that you don't want to push. So you've eventually turned whatever was chaotic before into some some semblance of balance. And when you've reached that balance point, you don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to take any chances. You don't want to say anything that might rock that boat, that might tip the scale a little bit, and then you're back into the higher tension, higher anxiety, higher stress with that person. You just show up and keep that balance as much as you can, and they probably do the same thing. They realize, well, if I bring that subject up, it's going to you know, create imbalance, and now we have to go through this mess again, and then five years later, we'll finally apologize to each other, and we get along again. We try not to do that. So there was someone in my life, uh, a relative of mine, that I kept a good balance with. And one day I had to honor my boundaries with her. And when I did, I knew it was going to change our relationship. So I honored my boundaries. I said my thing. I'm not going to give you any details, but I honored my boundaries, said my thing. And um, from that point forward, we didn't talk to each other ever again. So I did upset the balance. I upset the balance, but... I had to do it. Sometimes you have to do these things. Sometimes you have to upset the balance because there's only so far you can compromise yourself. That's like one of the last things I ever want to do is compromise myself. And I think that should be the one of the last things that you should do is compromise yourself. When you're in a situation, when you're in a challenge with someone and they are pushing your boundaries, pushing your limits, do you continue to compromise yourself and trying to be nice to them and trying to keep that balance? Or do you finally tell yourself, you know what, that's enough. I I can't allow this to continue. 
I can't allow this to go on. I need to upset the balance. I need to create maybe an imbalance for my own personal safety, for my own personal health, for my own personal well-being. Do I need to create an imbalance for this to happen? You can try to create the balance, just like I did. I think I said something like, you know what, I love you, and what you're asking of me is not something I want to do, uh, but I want to continue having the relationship that we have because I love you and I want you in my life. That's pretty much how I honored my boundary with this relative. And I think that was the best approach. I mean, it may not be the very best approach out of all approaches, but I think that was a really good approach to do with someone, to love someone, to honor yourself with someone with love for them and for yourself. But honoring yourself is love for you, but love them and honor you at the same time. Because honoring your boundaries, honoring yourself, doesn't mean that you have to point the finger at them and say, you stay away from me, you're a jerk, and just make it all about them. It's very direct, it's very assertive, maybe aggressive, and it can work. And maybe sometimes that's the way you should do it, because they just can't get the message and you've tried and tried and tried. But in my case, um, and in many cases, you can love someone and honor yourself at the same time. I love you, and this is the kind of relationship I would like to continue to have going forward, and I won't be able to do what you're asking me to do. I won't be able to do that. But I love you, and I want to keep you in my life. It's a very heartfelt, very sincere way to honor your boundaries. And it doesn't always work, because when people want what they want from you, and they can't get what they want from you, uh, their true nature can come out. And that true nature may be, it was always selfishness. It could always have been selfishness for them. It could always have been about them. Some people are all about themselves and don't really care what you want. Because unless they get what they want, you don't matter to them. Some people are like that, and it is hard to accept because if you're a kind, compassionate, empathetic, sympathetic person, you're not going to be able to get them. You're not going to be able to understand why they do the things they do and why they are suddenly mad at you for not doing what they want you to do. It's not going to register in you or a lot of people. It won't register in a lot of people that are caring and kind and supportive and generous and empathetic and all that. It won't register because you may not believe that people can't be kind and caring and compassionate and generous and empathetic. You may not believe that there are people out there that don't access that in themselves. So when they show up in a way that they want something from you or they want you to do something and you don't do it because it's an honoring of yourself and you hope that they see that you are honoring yourself and support that you'd honor yourself because people who love you will support your path to happiness. At least that's what you hope because that's how I define love. You hope that people will support you honoring yourself and support your path to happiness. And if it makes you unhappy to comply with their request and they don't care that it makes you unhappy and all they want is what they want and they want you to do what they want you to do, then I don't believe that's love. I believe that's control. I believe that's manipulation. I believe that's unethical uh, influence. 
because they can. And because they can, and they want what they want, they just continue their pattern of selfishness. And as long as they continue down that path, and as long as you enable that by continuing to give in, to submit, just because you think you're keeping the balance, you're probably not as balanced as you think you are. So back to this premise of balance, how can I keep the balance in this relationship where I won't really comply, but I also want to be kind to them. I want to be respectful toward them. The balance is reciprocal. It has to work both ways. Don't keep an imbalance just to keep the peace. I mean, sometimes you have to. Sometimes there are toxic people that you have to keep an imbalance and compromise yourself a little bit around these people because they're going to show up in a way that's so challenging to you that you just don't want to deal with it. You don't have the time or the energy or the resources to deal with these people. So you just give in and give up a part of yourself. I don't think that's a good long-term solution. It certainly can be a very useful short-term solution. But if it's a daily or weekly or monthly thing, you're going to really have to start reconsidering what you want in your life and how much you will compromise. Because life shouldn't be about always compromising. Life shouldn't be about always submitting to other people's needs. There should be a give and take. There are times when you will have arguments, where you will have disagreements, and then you come to a more balanced place because you finally talk about it or give in a little bit, but you both do that. You don't always be the person that gives in and lets somebody else win. Because you don't want to go through life feeling like a loser. It's probably a bad way to put it, but I don't want to feel like a loser. Just like this um, challenge I had with one relative. I didn't want to feel like a loser in myself. If I had given in to what she requested of me, then I would have felt like I was letting myself down. I don't want to let myself down. You should not want to let yourself down. That's my first piece of advice today. Don't let yourself down. And whatever that means to you is what it means to you. For me, when it comes to honoring my boundaries around people that I've especially never honored my boundaries around before, then I have the opportunity to answer that question. Uh, do I want to let myself down in this moment? And if the answer is no, then I might have to take a big leap of faith and honor myself and do it with love. Do it with love toward the other person. And in this case, I did that with a relative and she never really wanted to talk to me anymore. Not that I saw her a lot, but uh, there was certainly a change in our relationship. She certainly showed up differently in my life. And it feels like now I have a full disconnect with this person. And it is possible that maybe we'll never talk again. I don't think that's true. But maybe it'll be a long time. And maybe she'll hold a resentment toward me because I wouldn't do that one thing that she probably thought was simple and easy and other people give in, so why don't you? Maybe she thought I would just give in and everything will be copacetic for her, but I didn't want to have a relationship with her where I gave in to that. So I don't want to get too deep into that. I know it's... um. I know I'm not giving you a lot of details, but I'm sharing this because there are times where you do have to create an imbalance so that you don't compromise, so that you don't give up a part of yourself. 
And then when you do that, if you end up giving up a part of yourself and giving into someone else's selfish needs because they're not supporting your happiness, they would rather be happy and regardless of how you feel. So they're going to fulfill their own needs without worrying about yours. If you end up doing that, you carry around this toxicity inside you. It doesn't even become about the other person anymore. It's not even about them. It's what you hold on to in yourself. And that is what I'm talking about, about letting yourself down. If you let yourself down, then you can hold resentment toward yourself. You can hold hatred toward yourself. I shouldn't have done that. I should have done something different. I've had to talk to my mom a few times about uh, how angry she was at herself for staying with an abusive alcoholic for over 40 years and let her know that if she had the tools before, if she had the resources, if she had the knowledge that she has now, then she would have made different choices. But not to put herself down or be hard on herself because she didn't have those things before. Because you don't want to carry that stuff around like she did. You don't want to carry this stuff around because it ends up hurting you more. Not only do you get away from any challenge that you've had and you finally get through it, but if you then carry around regret and resentment toward yourself afterward, it's like the challenge continues. It goes on and it wears you down and it can really put you out. It can really make you feel just so lousy for the rest of the time you hold on to it, which is why it's important to forgive yourself a break for who you were, how you showed up back then, and what you did, and realize that you couldn't have done anything differently because you didn't have the knowledge or the tools that you have now. So that's basically what I want to say in this first segment, is just to remember that sometimes honoring yourself does come with the cost of losing a relationship or losing the balance of the relationship. And sometimes you don't want to rock the boat, sometimes you do. And it's all a matter of, in my opinion, looking inward and finding out what you're holding on to, what you can handle, how resilient you want to be, and how much toxicity you want to carry around. And if you are going to carry the burden of resent and regret toward yourself, in yourself, because that's what really hurts. It's really not about other people. It's about what you hold on to inside even though other people are the the stimulus and they're your triggers and everything like that, it's asking yourself, what am I holding on to that's hurting me? Because it's time to release that. It's time to move on from that. It's time to forgive yourself a break for who you were, for how you showed up, for what you did, and move on. Because if you can move on and honor yourself by loving yourself and not allowing compromise and not continually submitting to the demands of toxic people, then life goes a whole lot smoother. I'm not saying it's all rainbows and unicorns after that, but life can go a lot smoother if you don't have to carry around those burdens. We'll be right back after a quick message from today's sponsor. Digestive troubles, weight gain, low energy, achy joints. If you've been struggling with any of these, Dr. Stephen Gundry says you're not alone. And he knows the real cause. 
Dr. Gundry is one of the most famous and well-respected diet experts in the world, and he says that most of these problems aren't about lack of exercise or even genetics. The real cause is leaky gut. Leaky gut happens when you eat certain foods that contain lectins, which are tiny particles that tear holes in your digestive tract. These particles then wreak havoc on your insides, causing poor digestion, fatigue, achy joints and muscles, brain fog, and even worse health issues. So what's the solution? Well, you just need to know a few foods to avoid. And Dr. Gundry has made a free video describing exactly what they are. People who watch the video have reported more energy, smoother BMs, slimmer waistlines, and a stronger, healthier body. If you want to finally tackle your leaky gut, just watch the video at TotalRestore1.com. That's T-O-T-A-L-R-E-S-T-O-R-E-1, the number one, dot C-O-M. Welcome back. I want to read you some emails that I received, and we'll try to do the best we can with this grab bag. Like I said, some emails are going to be questions, some are going to be compliments, and I just want to offer some possible insights and opinions that I might have on some of these. Um, so this woman wrote to me a while back, and I think I helped her with something, and she wrote back and said, thank you. I've gotten a lot better. It helps that my ex has moved on already. It just pains me that he has introduced and had his new girl stay at the house we bought together. That is what sucks. Not that he moved on, but he has replaced me with my kids being involved so soon. But I would like to thank you for everything. I really appreciate you and your podcast. They have helped in so many ways. I just have to remember that no one will replace me in my children's eyes, even if they move into the life I once had. I have turned my life around for the better. All I care about is my children and if they are stressed or not. My ex and I are getting along and it has helped my girls to cope. And that is all that matters. The only hard thing now is he still lies about everything, but I know eventually those lies will catch up with him. Thank you again. All right. Thank you for that letter. I'm so glad to hear things are better. I don't remember the original situation, but there's a couple things I wanted to comment on here. So I wanted to say, I'm so happy to hear that things are better. Like I said, and like you said, someone else has moved in to the house and now she is his new girlfriend or whatever. And that can hurt. That can be a blow to your ego. That can be a blow to your sense of self-worth and self-esteem. But uh, I just want to remind you that when someone else comes into your life to be your ex's new partner, I know that it's painful and I know that it's a blow to your self-worth and self-esteem and all that. But also remember, it's an opportunity to be grateful that this person who just found someone else really quick would have been that same person had you stayed together. And it's important to remember that the person that you're with, if they got into a relationship that quick, that maybe they weren't the best fit for you in the first place. I'm not saying that's true. I'm not saying that uh, this is going to be very helpful, you know, specifically to help your heart heal or mend. But I am saying that when you are with someone and you see behavior in them that they start doing after you break up, you have to realize that that behavior may not have been conducive to your relationship in the sense that he could have wanted another relationship while he was in the relationship with you. That's not the kind of person you want to be with. 
even though it hurts because we take it personally, because we think we're special, because we think we're the one. Yet, if that person stayed with us, then it would have hurt even more. So I know that's not much to help you uh, heal or move on, but we have to remember that when somebody does move on without us, uh, they are doing us a favor. They are helping us go to the next level in ourselves because who are we with that they want to do other things that they don't want to do with us? Let me give you an example. My first girlfriend, a long-term girlfriend that I had in my 20s and 30s, after about 11 or 12 years of the relationship, she had fallen out of love with me. And as much as I wanted that relationship to continue, if it did, it would have been miserable for both of us. Because as things were dying off, as the connection and the intimacy and the love just pretty much disappeared, why would I want to extend that? Now, when I was in it, I wanted to extend it because I was attached. I was dependent on her love for my happiness. I was dependent on her being in my life for my happiness. A lot of dependencies for my happiness, for her being there. And they were unhealthy because if your only source of happiness comes from the other person in your life, you're developing an unhealthy attachment. You're developing an unhealthy relationship. Not that you can't get all your happiness from them. Because that's what happens a lot. We get into a relationship and then they're our main source of happiness. But if we don't fulfill ourselves in other ways, then we fall a lot harder when the relationship ends. And I've seen a lot of people, including myself over the years, put all of our time and energy and focus on that other person being in our lives to the point where we depend on them to be happy. And that puts a lot of pressure on the other person. It puts so much pressure on the other person to always show up and always be there for us. And we don't even realize we're doing it. So I'm not saying that that's what you did, the person who wrote this letter. But I'm saying that when we do that to someone, they will grow tired of us. If I depend on you to always show up and make me happy and always be there and make me happy and always go everywhere I go and never go out with your friends and I always want to be with you, you're going to get tired of me. You're going to grow weary. You're not going to have any time to yourself. You're not going to have any balance and you're not going to be able to be happy because it'll, it'll be all about pleasing me. And if that sounds fun at first, because you have a lot of people pleaser in you, it gets tiring. It really does. It settles down and you're no longer having fun and it's no longer love. It's control. It really is. It's a subtle form of control or overt form of control. And you want to stay away from that. So where I'm going with you, the person who wrote this letter, is that yes, there are reasons to be grateful when someone leaves you, even though your heart can be crushed. Even though when somebody leaves you, it feels like a piece of you is gone. And just remember that peace is the hole that you have to start refilling with self-love, self-care, self-compassion, and doing things for yourself so that you can rebuild what feels like a new identity. Because it's no longer us, it's you. It's I. And I have to take care of myself now. I don't have someone else in my life to help me do that, which means I, yeah, it's, you got to start over. And that's hard. And it's a tough love comment. I know it's something I probably wouldn't have wanted to hear every time I had a breakup, but it is true. It is true. You have to give yourself all that love and compassion and start living your life again so that when you meet someone else, and we always do, there's always someone out there. 
I can say that's true because my mom met someone in her 70s. Hopefully, we don't all have to wait that long. But she met someone that has made her happier than anyone in her entire life has ever made her. So I believe that we can always and will always meet someone to spend our life with if we are fulfilling our lives in other ways. And that's pretty much her secret. She lived her life realizing she's probably not going to have a companion for the rest of her life. After she got a divorce, she was near 70. And she just kept living her life and doing the things she loved. And eventually someone showed up. And it's quite a story. He just showed up. (laughs) So it's interesting how this happens when we start focusing on ourselves is that we become more attractive to other people. So I wanted to say that, and I also wanted to say uh, about this email, I'm so glad that your ex and I are getting along. Huge help. And the point that you made about him being a pathological liar, well, I don't think you said pathological. You said he still lies about everything. That's probably pathological, if not just manipulative towards you. I don't know. Um, But I did have some experience with pathological liars in the past here, either with a coaching client or you know people that I've known. And usually they never stop. And this is just something that if you know a liar, they probably won't stop. There's no reason for them to stop. There's absolutely no reason for a liar to stop lying because they keep getting what they want and they keep avoiding confrontation and they keep uh, manipulating other people and it works for them. It can work. Someone who lies all the time can make it work for them. And like this email writer said, it does catch up with them because the lies are caught And then some people will accept that they're a liar and stay in their lives. And some people will accept that they're a liar and leave their lives. But they don't care because they just keep lying because that's what they do. And they just, I don't know, have no morality filter or something. And that's the pattern they've gotten used to. And that's what they will continue to do. So I'm saying this sort of as a public service announcement that if you know a liar and they've lied before and it wasn't just once, but it was more than once, they're probably going to continue lying and you really can't trust them or anything they say. And yes, it'll be like the little boy who cried wolf all the time. Eventually, they'll tell the truth about something and they'll be really mad at you for not believing them because it's one of the first times they've told the truth and nothing you can do. I mean, you just can't help them and you can either choose to stay in their life, which I don't think I recommend, Because how can you believe anything they say? How can you trust someone that you can't believe? But you can either stay in their life or not. I choose to gravitate away from liars. I just can't afford non-authentic friendships or relationships. So I want to thank this email writer. Thank you so much. I'm glad your life is going better. And thank you for catching me up on that. And let me read the next email now. This next email someone wrote, God sent you to me to confirm my prayers, my thoughts, and realize that there is indeed a light at the end of the tunnel. Thank you. You are inspired. Keep doing what you are doing. May you continue to be blessed. Wow. (laughs) Thank you so much. That I can't confirm or deny that's true. I just know that I'm appreciative of that. Thank you so much. And I hope that uh, everything is going well for you. And uh, because I'm going to make a comment on every one of these, what you said, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I agree with that. Even if the tunnel is long and dark for 50 years, there's a light that's there. And some people say that's an oncoming train. That could, <laughs> that can be a, a downer and a pessimistic viewpoint. Uh, and some people say that that light is death. Like, oh, the light is, you know, dying. No. So that's another pessimistic viewpoint. 
I like to see it as no matter what it is, it's the end of suffering. And that's kind of morbid, yes. It could be death. It could be an outcome of trying. It, it could be anything. But it's still the end of suffering. It's still the end of suffering. And so, again, that could be a morbid perspective. But I look at it as a liberating perspective. I like to see the light at the end of the tunnel as I don't have to continue to suffer through the darkness because I'm in the tunnel. I mean, I've been in the tunnel. Have you ever been in this tunnel? The tunnel that's devoid of emotions, the depression. I mean, I don't know if you've been through depression, but if you have, you know what I mean. Most people have experienced some symptoms of depression. It's when you start feeling disconnected from joy and happiness It's that absence of an emotional place where even crying is a connection to feeling better. Even anger is a connection to feeling better. And when you start losing that because things are happening in your life and there's just so much emotion that you don't want to feel emotion at all, that you start to disconnect from that emotion. It doesn't feel like there's a light. It doesn't feel like the tunnel ever ends. But it does. The tunnel does end. And even if you wrote to me and say, yeah, but I've been depressed all my life. I don't ever see an end. It will end. And, you know, I probably shouldn't say this, but even if that light is the end of life, there's an end of suffering. Again, I shouldn't say that. It's um, irresponsible of me to say that because I'm I'm not saying that you should go do something crazy like jump off a bridge. I'm not saying that at all. I think you should not do that. But I do think that you should be aware that suffering does have a limit. Suffering does have a finite period of time. And for most people, it's within your lifetime. It's within your grasp. Sometimes we cause our own suffering a lot of the times because we continue something that shouldn't continue. Like my mom, I'll probably use her example a lot in this episode, where she enabled her suffering for many, many decades to stay with an abusive person because she did not know what it was like to be in any other type of environment or relationship. And it was scarier for her to step into the abyss, that darkness, than to stay in the discomfort and the known suffering. Some people don't want to step out of their known suffering. Some people don't want to experience what they believe will be a different sort of suffering. So they stay in the suffering. My opinion, I think it's okay to realize that you're suffering and that stepping out of that suffering could be another form of suffering. That sounds opposite of what we should do. I agree. But I also agree that if you stay in your suffering, the suffering never ends. If you step out of the suffering that you know, the suffering has a chance of ending. So, yes, it could be a different form of suffering. It's possible. And it also could be liberation. It also could be freedom from suffering. And I tell you what, most of the time it is. And the only reason I say that and can be very confident in saying that is because every time I chose to take a leap of faith into that abyss, out of the suffering that I was in, Even though there might have been a short window of more suffering, that window was so short-lived that all my suffering ended. And I could look back and go, whoa, so all of my suffering had to do with that environment or that relationship 
or my old beliefs, my old patterns. And by stepping out of that comfort zone, even though I was very uncomfortable, and experiencing a new reality without that environment, without that relationship, I was able to see more clearly what was happening in my life. Because when we're in the suffering, we have a very narrow perspective of what's possible. When we step out of the suffering, we have a very clear view of what can be, of what's possible. The clarity arrives, the fog lifts, our mind is clear, and even though we still might have some suffering of some sort, we have more paths to a solution. We have more branches into a better life. But we didn't have any of that when we stayed in the suffering. So that's my comment about the light at the end of the tunnel. Thank you so much for your very kind words. I appreciate you writing that to me. Let's go to our next one. Um, This next email, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read a part of it. And uh, this was a person who had a partner that, or has a partner, that uh, continued to keep, like, statistical data on their relationship and all the problems so that he could form theories on why the relationship wasn't working. It's a really interesting subject matter uh, because the challenge wasn't that he was writing all this information down and trying to keep all this data. It's a deeper story I won't get into, but uh, it's that he kept it to himself and didn't like to talk to his partner about it. And anytime she brought up problems in the relationship, uh, he would go back into his shell and hide deeper, what she says, hide deeper behind his emotional wall. And she says, it seems like therapy is the only safe place I can talk. And I've realized that I'm more frustrated with the situation than I am mad about what he said or did. I'm sad that he felt the need to do it. So what she's saying is that the moment that she brings up anything, instead of hearing her out, he just regrets saying anything to her because she comments on it or whatever and hides deeper behind his emotional wall. So thank you for sharing that. Um, We'd gone back and forth a few times, and this was her last email to me. And I wanted to comment on this one in particular uh, regarding communication in any relationship. I've talked about this many times before, but A, when you are with someone and you don't make them feel unsafe for them to share things with, then you're going to have a lot easier time sorting out problems. And yes, that might mean your partner or whoever you're talking with is, quote, allowed to say anything they want to you. And that could mean I hate you, you're a bad person, you're a B-I-T-C, you know, whatever, you're a B-A-S-T-A-R, you know, whatever, and I hate when you do this, and I hate when you do that. It might mean them going off on you, and you just sitting there going, okay, thank you for sharing that. How else do you feel? What else is going on inside of you? And I know how hard it is to sit through that and wait for them to finish, but they will finish. Unless they're just evil or they have an agenda, if they're just angry and they want to release this anger and get this energy out of them, they'll eventually finish. So that's why I like to promote offering a safe space for someone to share and express and even vent to you, even if it's about you, 
so they can get it all out so that it doesn't come out in a destructive way later. Because you don't want people carrying around this stuff. You want them to be able to release it. I'm not saying that's what's happening here in this particular email, but I wanted to mention that as a part of uh, the things I'm commenting on today, is that when you're communicating with someone, when you give them a safe space to express themselves, a non-judgmental, non-offended place where you don't become offended and then go off on them and just let them vent until they're exhausted, it could resolve a lot of issues. I'm not saying it resolves issues in general, but it could resolve the main issue that you might be going through. Because sometimes people just want to be heard. They want to be validated. They want to feel like they're understood. And a lot of us can go through life not getting that. And so when we offer that to someone, it's a gift. You know what? I'm going to let you yell at me. I'm going to let you say anything you want at me. I'm going to let you say anything you need to say, express anything you need to express, vent if you need to vent, and I'm just going to be here for you, giving you the space you need. When you do that, it's a gift. And hopefully, if they take that gift and use it, they don't do it again and again, because I've heard that. I've heard, well, I let my husband do that, and now he, he just gets worse and worse and yells at me more and more, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. And I told that person... What's probably happening is that he's not really expressing what he really feels. He's expressing everything he's angry about. He's expressing everything that you're doing, but he's not getting to the heart of the matter. Because that's what can happen. Because some people, for example, might fall out of love or might not want to be in the marriage anymore or in the relationship anymore. And they don't want to say that. So they'll say everything else besides that. And maybe it's a way to get you to leave. Maybe it's a way for them to cause you to take responsibility for ending the relationship. Because if you get mad enough at them for what they're saying about you, you'll end things. And then they can blame you for it. You know, all kinds of little sneaky tactics like that. But if it turns into that, if it turns into you allowing them the space to vent, turns into just uh, permission to continue to verbally beat you all the time, then there's a bigger problem. That's, you know, that might need professional help. You might need to go to therapy for that. Or they may never want to reveal why they're so upset. Or maybe they're so upset and it has nothing to do with you. It has something to do with their childhood. And they've been angry at their mom or dad for all this time. And they have no one else to express or blame it on. So they blame it on you. Who knows? That's what therapy usually unpacks. But if you offer that gift and they don't take advantage of that gift by becoming worse and worse and worse... You might be able to get someplace that you haven't gotten to before. But a lot of us get offended. A lot of us get triggered when someone starts yelling at us. And I understand that. I do too. So it's a very hard thing to do to step back and go, okay, this is their time. Let me give them that space. And I'll just sit here and I won't like it, but you know, I'm going to give them the space they need. And I'll try not to let the words affect me too much because I have to think about the energy they're trying to release. And I think that's a good way to focus on something is focus on the energy they're trying to release because once that pressure cooker loses all its steam, there won't be much pressure after that. There won't be much uh, to push forth any more frustration or upset or anger. So if you let all of that steam out because you allowed it, instead of continuing to fuel it because you're triggered and you want to fight back, then you might get to a new level with your communication. So this is part A of this maybe two-part answer. 
is you provide that safe space. The other side of this now, part B, is the other person hiding in their shell or going behind their emotional wall, as this letter writer writes. When this happens, when someone you're talking with uh, and you want to express yourself to them goes behind some sort of emotional protection where they don't want to talk, they give you the silent treatment, they recoil and decide never to talk about that subject again, never bring it up, which will, of course, be them repressing any negative emotions they have about it, repressing any thoughts that they have about it. If they do all of this and they don't want to talk about it anymore and you can't stop them from doing that, I think an unproductive response to that would be to step back yourself. In other words, if they step back and they protect themselves and they don't want to talk about it anymore and you step back because you don't know what to do, you don't know how to get it out of them and you just want to leave them alone and be be in their own space, then I don't think you'll get anywhere. I mean, yes, you're allowing them to be themselves, giving them that safe space to do whatever they want to do. But that recoiling, if they have a habit of doing that or a pattern, then allowing them to do that every time there's some big thing you have to, you have to talk about never gets the subject resolved. So this is one approach that may or may not be popular, uh, but what I like to do is step forward in that moment. When they step back, I step forward, but in an, a loving way, not in an aggressive way, in a loving way. If my girlfriend wants to hold something back, and this hasn't happened in a while because we've kind of gone through all this in the beginning of our relationship, but when she was holding things back, I wouldn't step back and go, oh no, she's holding things back. I guess she doesn't want to talk about it. I better not talk about it. I would actually step forward and say, okay, what's going on? I can tell you're holding back. I can tell there's something on your mind. I can tell because you're disconnected from me. You won't look at me. Um, or it's been days. I mean, sometimes you have to give them a day or two, and that's fine too. But you do have to bring it up. You do have to take that step forward. Again, in my opinion, this may not be popular, but I like taking the step forward because I want to show them that, hey, you know what? I'm here for you. And whatever you have to say, we can work this out. We can work it, work through it together. But you got to be that person. You can't just fake it. In other words, when you say, I'm here for you, we can work this out. And then they finally tell you what it is. And then you go off on them because they said something that offends you. Of course, they're going to recoil. Of course, they're not going to want to share again. So this is why it's important to practice that active listening that I was just talking about, that safe space for them to express themselves so that when you do take a step forward and you say, hey, look, I want to be able to help you out here. I want to be there for you. I want to know where you are. So don't back off from me. Just share what's going on. I know that something's upsetting you. And this gives them almost permission to share in a way that tells them, I'm not here to attack you. And you can even say that. I I promise I won't react. You know, I promise I won't attack. And you can even follow up and say, you know, I've done that before, but I'm working on this and I don't want to be that kind of person. I just want to be here for you. I know that you don't want to bring it up. But I think it's important for this relationship to bring it up so that we don't hold it in. So you step forward, you talk to them, and you let them know it's safe to share with you. And when you do that and they can respond to that, and then you can finally talk about it, even though it might be painful, you can get through a lot. You can strengthen the bond. You can make the relationship so much stronger than it was. 
And I think that's important just to be able to share the hard stuff, even though it can be hurtful, it can be painful. But as your relationship survives these hard truth moments, you're going to be able to get through almost anything as it goes on. But it does take a step forward for someone to say, hey, look, I want you to open up. I want you to tell me what's going on. I love you that much that I want to know. I love this relationship that much that I want to get through this together. So if you have something to say, please, please do it. And I promise I will do my best to be here to listen, to not judge, to not be triggered, because I want, I want you to be able to be yourself around me. And that can be helpful. So thank you for that email, the person who wrote, I appreciate you. And thank you for tuning into this episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. We're reaching the end here. The grab bag episode is over. Maybe I'll have another one next week or next year. Don't know. But these are pretty good for those quick sound bites of personal growth, maybe. (laughs) But I'm so glad you joined me. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. Say some thank yous and close the show with my final words after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank our sponsor. Today's sponsor is Total Restore. Finally tackle that leaky gut. Go to TotalRestore1.com. That's TotalRestore and the number one.com. And check out that video. It's a free video you can watch to help you get a slimmer waistline and a stronger, healthier body. I also want to thank the supporters of The Overwhelmed Brain, including our sponsor, but the patron members as well at patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. Those who are supporting the show help get these episodes to you. If you want to support the show, go to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com and I will list your name on the page of supporters over at theoverwhelmedbrain.com forward slash supporters. Thank you, existing patron members. I appreciate you. And I want to thank iTunes reviewers, Snappy Ginger and Tanya Besara Abova. I don't know if I said that right, but I appreciate your comments. I read all of the reviews that I get my hands on. I don't know if I see all of them all over the world, but I try my best. I want to thank those who have left reviews. I appreciate you, not only in iTunes, but everywhere. I am honored. And thank you for sharing with the world your opinions about the show, even if they're bad opinions. I don't mind bad opinions either. People who have left bad reviews before don't mind them at all. I'm just happy that you're expressing yourself. I don't prefer bad opinions, but (laughs) I'm just glad that you're putting it out there and talking about the show in any way, shape, or form, even if it's to give me some good advice on how to make it better. And I want to ask you for a favor. I'm going to ask you probably for the next several episodes to go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com forward slash survey. Every, I don't know, two or three years, the company I host this show with called Libsyn, they offer the listeners of the show a survey so that I could cater sponsored ads to the listeners. What does that mean? That means every time you hear an advertisement on the show, they can use your survey results to help cater the appropriate sponsors to this show because we're going to have sponsors. This is just how it works. We have commercials on podcasts and I would rather have sponsors on the show that fit your lifestyle, that fit your preferences instead of listening to things that don't apply. So hopefully today's sponsor applies to you. I know it applies to me, but if you get a moment, go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com forward slash survey 
and you'll help me help you. That sounds strange when I say that, but you'll help me help you serve you advertising that's relevant to you. So if you're going to have advertising, you might as well have it be catered towards something that you appreciate, something that you're interested in. So thank you for doing that. I'm going to ask probably the next few episodes as well. And if you're having any relationship difficulties, remember to check out my other podcast called Love and Abuse. You can find that in your favorite podcast player and also at loveandabuse.com. Any type of difficult relationship, well worth the listen. It talks about the deeper aspects of manipulation and control and other things that you may not know is happening in your relationship, including emotional abuse. A lot of people don't like to say there's abuse in my relationship, but emotional abuse is so much more than any type of overt abusive behavior. It can be very subtle, just like I talked about today with the silent treatment and recoiling. That can be a form of emotional abuse. So check it out over at loveandabuse.com. Maybe you'll learn something very helpful for your relationships. And finally, I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And to close the show, I want to share a personal transformation journey that I went through several years ago. I've shared it on the show before, but it's uh, something that comes up every now and then in an email. Or Many people have asked me, when you were emotionally abusive toward your wife, what changed? How did you change? How did you get... Uh, from being emotionally abusive to being loving and caring and compassionate and empathetic. How did you make that transition? And I've talked about that transition. You could probably hear more about it over at loveandabuse.com. But I've talked about that transition many times. But people want to know the magic formula, the, the ingredient. They want their partner to change or they themselves need to change. What was the moment that that change happened? What was the impetus for the moment? What was the spark that made things different for me? And if you don't know, yes, I was an emotionally abusive person. I wasn't an awful, awful person all the time, but I certainly was uh, doing enough damage in the relationship that caused her to fall out of love with me and finally protect herself and divorce me. And looking back at it, totally the best choice. (laughs) I mean, she had to make that decision Or her life would have gotten worse because I wouldn't have changed. And it's hard to admit that, but I've done so on the show many times uh, because I want you to know that, yes, people can change. They can do it. But that doesn't mean everyone can change. But there is a turning point that can happen with people who are abusive or toxic or unhealthy to be around. And the way I got to that point of change, when I realized how bad my behavior was toward my wife, which was being judgmental and controlling and other things that um, I'm not proud of, the turning point for me has to do with a thought that I had from my past. The turning point was when I remembered when my friend John and I were at an expo together and we were talking about his marriage. And his marriage was very rocky. He was unhappy, but he was committed to it. Committed forever. I mean, he knew that this was going to be the marriage that he would have for the rest of his life, whether he liked it or not. And he didn't like it. He was not happy. And he would tell me that when he would come home from work or often, he would get into arguments with his wife and she would say things to him that made him feel bad. And he just took a lot of, from his perspective, he took a lot of abuse. I don't know if he called it abuse back then, but 
He said that she was very, very difficult to live with. And I looked at him and I said, oh my God, I can't imagine, this is way before I was married, I can't imagine being married to someone that every time I come home that she would make me feel that awful. She would make me feel that guilty, that bad about myself. I can't imagine living like that every day for the rest of my life. And my friend John just kind of, <laughs> he opened his eyes a little bit, stared off into the distance, and I think he just imagined his entire life the exact same way from that point on. Miserable. And I didn't mean to like throw that into his head. I just, I couldn't imagine it myself. I mean, marriage to me was supposed to be the happiest thing in your life. You get married and you spend your life with a companion and everything goes well. You share experiences together and you have ups and downs, but it's mostly happy. And he just stared off into the distance, imagining what his life was going to be every single day from that point on. Well, needless to say, or maybe I should say, it didn't take too long for him to decide to get a divorce. And I didn't tell him to get a divorce. I didn't even mention that word. I just shared my thoughts about what it would be like. And he took that and realized what his life would be like if he did that. And he, he did. He got a divorce and he was happy about that. He finally got out of this miserable relationship, his words, and he was a happier person after that. And then he met someone new and everything was great from that point on. But the turning point for my own abusive behavior toward my wife, which is mostly judgment and control and the silent treatment, which is also part of controlling someone else's uh, state, was when my wife and I separated to work on ourselves with the idea that we're going to get back together as better people after we improve ourselves. It's a long story. I don't want to share the whole thing here, but uh, we separated for a little while. Um, when we were gone and we were outside of each other's influence, your thoughts change when this happens. When you are on your own and you're not around the person that you're constantly influenced by, negatively or positively, you have a different set of thoughts that come into your mind. And so there I was sitting alone thinking differently than I had ever done before and realizing that this is our opportunity to improve our relationship and instead of thinking about all the ways that she needed to change, this was my time to think about how I needed to change. So that was kind of part of this, is that without being in her presence 24 hours a day, I was on my own. And I got to think about what life was like on my own and what I could do to improve myself on my own. So that was part one of this. Part two I started talking about which was having this memory of John and I and telling him I couldn't imagine what it would be like being miserable every day for the rest of my life. It made me have the thought of, I wonder if my wife is happy with me. I mean, that's a great question to, to answer. If your relationship is difficult and all you're doing is blaming the other person, I wonder if they're happy with me. I mean, most people that listen to this show, I don't think they're the problem, quote, the problem in the relationship. I think a lot of us have dealt with difficult people and usually, and a lot of the times they're the problem, but I have a lot of emails from people that say, I wonder if I'm the problem. And so I think that's a good question. Am I the problem in this relationship? How do I make it difficult for her? And then I ask myself, would I be happy if I were in her shoes, if she was treating me like that, if she was 
telling me what I need to eat and always giving me a dirty look anytime I put food near my mouth. I mean, that was my judgment issues back then that took a while to heal from because I grew up with an addict in my home. Um, I had all these judgment issues about people's addictions. And so that's what I became, this judging, controlling person in my marriage. But I finally had the clarity of mind to ask myself, what do I do to make her unhappy? How do I show up in the relationship? Perhaps in ways that John's wife showed up in their relationship. And I started putting the shoe on the other foot. You know, I started putting myself in her shoes and finally being empathetic. I mean, that's the secret right there. If you can be empathetic towards your partner, then you can put yourself in their shoes. Now, this doesn't always work with uh, partners that are emotionally abusive or narcissistic or psychopathic or sociopathic. It doesn't always work with those people. You can't be empathetic toward people that are abusing you. It's very difficult because if you're in that type of abusive situation, then you have other things to think about and other things to consider. And what will happen is a reactive type of abuse where you react to the abuse with abuse. Abuse is a strong word, but emotionally harmful behavior. You can do what's called reactive abuse and become abusive toward the person abusing you. And it makes you feel like you're the bad person. I'm not talking about those kind of situations. I'm talking about if you really are the abusive person or you really are the emotionally harmful person and they're trying their best to do what they can to make you happy and make things right. I mean, that's what my wife was doing. She was doing her best to love me unconditionally and be resilient and tolerant of my behavior. And no matter what she did, I never changed. And that was harmful. And she eventually fell out of love with me. And of course, she's going to fall out of love with me because I wasn't safe to be around. How can you be in love with someone that you don't feel safe being around? She couldn't open up her heart to me because I would crush it. I would hurt it. And so she had to build these walls so I wouldn't hurt her anymore. And those walls eventually shielded me from any type of connection, any type of intimacy, any type of love from her. And when we separated, it was an eye-opener. It was accountability for my behavior. It was an understanding of what I was doing wrong because I was finally out of the relationship long enough to look at myself, look at my behavior, and take responsibility for what I was doing. And then once I realized it, I felt shame. I felt guilty. I felt awful, awful regret. And I resented me. And I carried that with me until I chose to heal from it. And healing meant stop focusing on her challenges, her issues, her problems. Stop making her problems your problems. That's what I said to myself. Stop looking at that other person as if they're the problem. And start honoring yourself in doing what you need to do for you talking to myself. And once I said that to myself, I was free. I realized I had spent so much time trying to change her, trying to make her into the perfect wife that I became the most imperfect, damaging husband there was. And to have that kind of clarity of thought was completely defeating to me because I had realized how much of a jerk I'd been. And again, I, I say this not proud, not looking for pity, not looking for anything. I say this to share with you in hopes that if you want to know if an emotionally harmful person can change, the answer is yes, if they're willing 
to take responsibility for their behavior and access empathy. But the problem is they may not be able to access it until you are separated. They, they may not be able to know they're harmful until they realize that their behavior is pushing you away. And you might need to show them it's pushing you away by not showing up in their life anymore. At least at first. At least temporarily. And so this is the best way I've seen people change. Is that they have to be out of the relationship. I don't care if it's a romantic relationship, a family relationship, a friendship. Usually the separation gives someone the opportunity to be away from the influence, good or bad, of the other person. So that they can finally figure out what they need to do for themselves. So that they can finally figure out what's going on in their lives without someone else influencing them in any way. And that's what had to happen for me. I was able to turn things around by having just that magic thought at that magic moment when the opportunity appeared to be able to access empathy for the first time during my marriage and realize, oh, I'm the problem. All this time I've been focusing on her changing to suit me. If I control her, then we'll be happy. Turns out control is the opposite of love. So in answer to the person who wrote that email, yes, an emotional abuser can change. And yes, it's also hard. And also, yes, it's quite possible that they won't. So if you feel like you're emotionally harmful and you're not with an abuser where you're reacting to the abuse with more abuse or more emotional harm, then perhaps this is something you can practice by disconnecting from the person for a while and having thoughts that are completely your own that don't involve them so that you can start taking responsibility for anything that you feel may be harmful to the other person. But the, the goal of any loving relationship is to allow someone to be themselves without you trying to change them into something that you want them to be. I believe that goal should be priority number one above anything else. Because as soon as you start trying to change them into who you want them to be, love wanes and control reigns. And allowing someone to be themselves is closest to love. And controlling them is the farthest from love. And I think that's just something to keep in mind all the time. And you can even ask yourself, is what I'm saying or doing an effort to change or control the other person? I mean, ask yourself that question every time you do something with your partner or your family or friend. Is what I'm saying or doing an effort to control or change the other person? And then you'll know if you're closer to love or farther from it. I hope this helps today. Thank you for joining me. Always remember to keep an open mind so that you can step into your power. This will help you be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing. Yeah.